welcome to the Wake Up Call podcast. I'm your host, Alicia Hopkins, life coach, recovering perfectionist, crazy animal lover, and your go-to friend for all things wellness. If you're the type of woman who constantly feels burned out, overwhelmed, and like you have zero time for yourself, then this is the show for you. I'll show you that it is completely possible to live a life you look forward to every single day by learning simple, actionable steps to start putting yourself first. Burnout and overwhelm are not welcome here, but a little bit of crazy sure is. So if you're ready for your wake up call with a girl who's not afraid to drop an F-bomb every now and then, let's dive in. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Wake Up Call podcast. Before we jump into today's episode, I just wanted to take a few seconds to say welcome. We have had some new listeners here at the podcast recently, and I'm not always the best at just giving the shout out to say, hello, it's nice to meet you and welcome. So I wanted to do that. I also just wanted to have a brief call out that if you haven't done so already, if you could take a second to rate and review the podcast and share it, share it. If you listen to an episode that's really spoken to you, tagging it on Instagram and sh- or texting it to someone is really the greatest way for people to come to know the podcast, right? Because if you're anything like me, I like to listen to things or really take on anything that someone recommends to me. So it would mean the world if you would help me in sharing this podcast, getting the word out there and growing this community. So welcome everyone. And let's talk about today's episode. So you will recognize my guest if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, Rachel Walt. She is such a ball of energy. And recently she has launched a meditation library and it got me thinking, We all hear the benefits of meditation. And if you're like me, I've also struggled with meditation, even though we hear people talk about all the benefits that come from it. So I decided in supporting Rachel, I love all that she creates. I subscribed to her meditation library. And I have to say, it surprised me in the fact that it was so relatable and real, because I know I have approached meditation in the past thinking it has to be this perfect practice that you're in this yoga studio and you're seated on the floor and, you know, meditating for hours on end. And it's no wonder that I have not taken to it. It has not fit my lifestyle. It felt hard if I'm being honest. So in today's episode, Rachel and I are debunking some myths around meditation, namely what maybe people think it has to be, and talk about how do you really come to make a practice that is your own. And I think you'll be surprised if you think, okay, this is just another conversation about meditation. I encourage you to stick around because it really is when I think about what we've distilled in this conversation, it's about finding ways to bring more presence in your life so that you can get tethered to the present moment and not get hooked into the thoughts that often derail us and spin us out into anxiety or jumping to conclusions or feeling frantic and burned out. So Rachel is a meditation teacher, a Reiki master, and she's obsessed with human design. She's also the founder of Crafting Good, where she is supporting people and changing the world from the inside out. And what I also think is so cool is Rachel started out as a speech language pathologist. So she's got this really cool kind of clinical background, but then also into spirituality. So I think what, as a result, especially as we talk about meditation is you get really just a grounded approach to how you can start bringing some of these practices into your own life. Well, guys, I am so excited to be joined today with Rachel Walt, a fan 
favorite and our first guest to be back to the Wake Up Call podcast for her fourth time here. <laughs> we love her. We know her. She is our resident energy work teacher. And today we are going to be busting some myths around meditation. And I cannot think of someone more qualified and more fun to have this conversation with. Rachel, welcome back to the show. How's it going? Oh my gosh, Alicia, what an intro. Thank you so much. I'm always just so grateful to be here. So cozy to be here. I love, we had to like stop our conversation to record this podcast because we are already getting into it because we're so geeks about it. So I'm, I'm excited to get it going. <laughs> Me too. And I think where I would love to start is I just want to talk about the word meditation because I will speak from my own experience. I know we hear all the benefits of meditation, like we get it, but I also still have this association that it has to be like this formal, I'm in like my yoga pants and I'm in a quiet room and there's a candle lit and it's focused and it's hours long and all of that, those beliefs around it make me just not want to do it. It feels hard. So I even want to just talk about like, even at a high level, when you hear the word meditation, what does that mean to you? To me now it means, ah, uh, sorry, I'm a generator in human design. So I got to bring that in. It means cozy. It means comfort. It means support to me now. It didn't always start out that way. Um, or it wasn't always that way. It didn't start that way. Uh, I used it as kind of like a shame tool at first, <laughs> like, oh, I can't do this thing. And it was kind of a pit in my stomach, kind of a, a reaction to that word. I have been meditating probably 20 ish years on and off. I started, um, just with some quiet time, honestly, more in a Christian lens of like prayer. And then, um, did Deepak Chopra and Oprah's 21 day meditations that they used to do every quarter, I believe. And I can't remember what year that started, but as soon as they started, I was like, yes, please love Oprah, love Deepak. Let's do this. And what they would do is, um, you know, send you a meditation in your inbox and guide you through a different contemplation, guide you through concentrating on certain parts of your body or certain things in your atmosphere. And that felt really approachable to me. Uh, it was only 15 minutes, you know, 20 minutes. I didn't have to do it every day. And I just really enjoyed it. And between the quarterly challenges, I didn't really do anything with it. I was like, well, that's good enough, whatever. Um, but I really looked forward to it. And it wasn't until 2020, I'm a trained speech pathologist as well. I was working in the hospital and COVID came and my anxiety just shot up. I was having panic attacks on the way to work. And I thought, oh, I have this little tool called meditation that I've done before. I wonder if this will work kind of like in crisis, you know? Um, and so I would go to the hospital, I would come back, I would tell my husband and my family who were, you know, locked in at the time, I need an hour to myself before you talk to me, ask me for anything, do anything. And so I would like strip out of my hospital clothes and scrubs, take a hot shower, which was in and of itself, a form of meditation, which we'll talk about in a minute and sit just silently, quietly for about 15, 20 minutes. I would use some guided audios, but sometimes would just literally just sit there and stare at the wall and just kind of notice how my body was feeling. Notice you know, my thoughts at the time. And I started doing it every day as like a coping strategy for that. I would look forward to it. It was kind of my highlight of my day during those dark COVID times when I was working at the hospital. And ever since then, I've been meditating every single day. I started noticing the benefits 
kind of oozing out, you know, out of my control, really (laughs) just kind of oozing out into my life. And I thought, oh my gosh, I have to get trained in this to teach other people how to do this because I have now, you know, seen the consistency, the consistency really took hold. Um, The benefits were really manifesting in my, in my internal life, but also in my external life. And so then I, I became an instructor. What year was that? It was either 2020 or 2021 and have folded it into crafting goods offering. And now I've paired it with Reiki meditation. And so it's really been an evolution, to be honest, a lot of uh, limiting beliefs that I've dissolved, a lot of blocks I've dissolved, some of which I was forced to with the circumstances, you know, going on with COVID and lockdown and stress and anxiety and all of that. But I really believe that anybody can learn to meditate if it's something in their heart that they want to try for, for the right wise, for the right reasons, once they find those and with the right tools, um, which I hope we will bring to them today. There's a couple things I want to bring out from what you said. So the first two things, because I think that they are beliefs that get in the way of people maybe taking to meditation, there's a belief that you have to do it every day and it needs to be like a set, structured, rigid way. At least that's how I've thought about it. Like if I don't meditate for 30 minutes, is it even a meditation? So can you talk about how do we make meditation approachable And maybe loosen our grip on the idea that it has to be like a set 30 minutes, an hour. How do we make it more approachable so that someone can even get to a place where they think, okay, maybe I could do that a couple times a week and maybe even every day. Right. Well, I do think we need to loosen the grip that we have on what we consider meditation to be. Meditation doesn't have to be in the mountains, in nature, with your mudra arm, you know, positions in cross-legged or in lotus position. Um, That is one way to meditate. And if that is something that you respond to, then that's wonderful. Um, For a lot of people that have high levels of stress and anxiety, um, trauma, or just haven't really been exposed to it much, it is very hard to sit still and quiet with your thoughts. So don't do that. No little meditation fairy comes out and gives you a gold star to torture yourself for 20 minutes. It actually works against what you're trying to do with meditation, right? My guess is your motivation for trying meditation is number one, you might be a personal development guru or or developing guru or or geek out on that kind of stuff, or, and you might have some anxiety, some stress, some depression, some things you want to work through with your mental or emotional health or physical health. And you want to try this approach because it's no longer fringe. You know, a few years ago is pretty fringe. It was pretty woo woo. It was pretty crunchy. And then people started researching it and seeing the benefits of it. Science took a hold of it and started doing research on mindfulness and meditation and has proven over and over again with many articles that there are so many mental, emotional, and physical benefits. So that's why you might be, you know, coming to meditation. And when you sit down and nothing happens, like your heart rate doesn't slow, it actually speeds up. Your minds don't, or your mind doesn't stop thinking. It actually starts racing. You're like, oh, this isn't for me done. I'm over. Well, no meditation is a practice. Okay. It's just like everything else. It's a habit. It's a practice. You really um, need to loosen your grip on what the definition is. So if you think it's just someone sitting in nature, cross-legged, imagine something different, or at least get curious about what it could be. Meditation and mindfulness really is just putting your sustained focus on the present moment, basically. So you can put your focus on doing the dishes. 
like putting all of your attention on how do the bubbles feel? How do the plates feel? What does this brush feel like? What are the sounds I'm listening to? Using all of your senses to really focus on a certain task or a certain object. You can stare at the flame of a candle and meditate. You can eat. You know, you might've heard intentional eating or mindful eating. That's when you're really paying attention to the textures of your food, the flavors of your food, the smells of your food. How is that going? So those are all meditations. Walking is a meditation when you bring your attention to each step. What does the surface beneath me feel like? What do my feet um, do when I you know, move my left and move my right? What are my hands doing? What is my body feeling like? All of these can be meditation because meditation is really just bringing your focus to something in the present moment. And I think that's where a lot of the benefits come from because we know like anxiety lives in the future, depression, regret, shame lives in the past many times. And so when you bring your attention to the present moment, you have control. You're not worrying about something future or worrying about something you said, you know, last week in a conversation, you're not ruminating over things. You're really bringing your full body, your full energy, your full attention to the task at hand. That's why, you know, a lot of sports people, their sport is their meditation. Rock climbers, they don't have room for error there. They have to bring their full attention into their climbs, into their, you know, scaling up these big mountains. And that is a form of meditation. Singing is a form of meditation. When you're paying attention to the notes and where to put the resonance in your body and in, in your breathing and in your resonance system and your voice. All of these things can be meditation when you bring your full attention and energy using your senses into the present moment, whatever you're doing. So I think what you just said there is so important in us helping to reshape our belief on what meditation has to be. And I want to just just so that someone out there listening, when you hear these examples again, maybe it can help you pick something apart that you're what I'm hearing is, just bringing more awareness, more mindfulness to the present moment of when you're doing something. I mean, did you hear Rachel say when you are doing the dishes, focusing on the bubbles, like noticing the bubbles, how do they feel on your hand? A walk, noticing your steps. I know I had had um, in therapy previously when I very first started and I was like at my highest level of anxiety, my psychologist at that time told me, when you brush your teeth, I want you to just stay at your sink and brush your teeth. And I'm like, what are you even talking about? And I know now that was its own kind of mini meditation because I'd be brushing my teeth. And then I'm thinking there's laundry on my bed. I'd walk to the bed and it's like, nope, come back, come back to the bathroom, brush your teeth. So that coming back, I'd like to talk about that too, because I think distraction can be something that breaks us from a meditation practice. So you know, just like I said, I'm brushing my teeth and then I'm thinking about the laundry. I'm thinking about the dishes that coming back, like how do we bring ourselves back or what do we do when we start noticing all of the distractions pop up when we've made that commitment to, okay, I'm going to be present. I'm going to try my meditation practice because that can get really hard and cause a lot of people to stop. Right. Uh, you celebrate, you celebrate noticing, you give yourself some grace. Mindfulness has a few different principles, allowance, patience, um, acceptance, compassion, observing, letting go. So everything can be a part of your meditation. It is helpful to be in a quiet room where you feel safe and cozy, just so you aren't distracted by those sensations. But if you can't, if you're in your office, if you're in your car about to go into a meeting or, or pick your kids up and you know it's going to be chaos, you can spend 
one second. And if it's distracting, if the, if the, you know, hunks are going on or the air conditioning is making a funny noise, welcome it into your attention, notice it, and then let it go. What I do to help myself with that, um, with raising thoughts, especially because the mind is meant to think. So quieting the mind by trying to ignore your thoughts really just amplifies your thoughts. Your, your mind is supposed to think. So that's a really common um, pushback that I get from people is, oh, I can't meditate. My thoughts, my thoughts are just too busy racing. I, I can't quiet my mind. I'm like, well, that's the point. That's the point. Nobody quiets their mind. Um, they really acknowledge the thoughts and then send them. And what I like to do is send them to a balloon above my head. So I imagine a balloon floating above my head. And if any to-dos pop in, any worries, any thoughts, even mundane, dumb thoughts that come into the mind, I look at them with my mind's eye or my attention. I give them my attention, say thought, I label it. I'm like, oh, thinking again, thinking again. And then I breathe them up into um, a balloon, an imaginary balloon that I visualize above my head for safekeeping. Because my part of my struggle is I have some anxiety and I um, struggle with memory things. So if something comes in my head that I need to remember to do or something, I'm like, oh God, like, I can't forget that. Like, I want to pay attention to that. So if I'm in my meditation and I've given my thoughts space too, because that's what's happening. You are basically in meditation saying, I'm giving, I'm creating space. I'm giving my attention to something. And your thoughts are thinking, oh, finally, this bitch has been distracted by her phone, talking to people while she's doing the dishes. We're trying to get her attention. This bitch won't even sit down. So you finally sit down and your thoughts are like, but yes. Okay, great. So they're going to flood into your awareness and your attention. That's okay. Acknowledge them. And then sending them to the balloon to me, makes me feel like, oh, I won't forget it because I put it in a place, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to ignore it because then they'll scream louder at me. I'm acknowledging them and I'm putting them in a place for safekeeping. So I can go to that place later (laughs) instead of like, oh, great. It's going to fade. I'm going to forget that. And if that's even too hard at first, bring a little notepad with you to your meditation, wherever that might be. And jot, you know, jot those notes down to have a place. That's another strategy that I've given people to before you even start your meditation, do a rage page or do um, a list making task before you try to quiet your mind of all the things that are coming to you already in your mind to do's worries, all of those things and write them down Um, and do movement too. Sometimes movement can help shake out some of those thoughts that don't need to be there. Um, Take some stretches, bend over and like literally shake your head out, shake your hands. Shaking practices are really good for many reasons. Um, Or just do some stretches, do some movement before you get going can help with that. But your thoughts are still going to be there. And meditation is a practice. Like now when I meditate, I have trained my body to have the cue of like, oh, we're meditating now and certain things click into place. And I can get into that meditative place quicker and easier now that I've practiced for so long consistently. But when you're first starting out, it's just not, it's not a thing to sit down and quiet your mind. It just doesn't happen. You have to train your body like everything else to be able to reach that place. So don't ignore your thoughts. Your mind's going to race. Don't ignore the discomfort in your body. Touch it. If you're sitting on a meditation pillow, or if you're sitting up and your back is hurting, touch your back. If your neck is hurting, touch your neck. Like I got you or send your breath to those places. When you breathe, start noticing your breath 
And then on your exhale, send it to those tight places or those discomforts and see what happens. Or even asking, I'm like, what are you trying to get my attention for? See what happens. I think the best thing you can do when you're starting a meditation practice is bring your curiosity and compassion. Love that. And as I was hearing you talk, what came to mind is what you resist persists, especially what we're talking about, like those thoughts that come up and distract us. The distraction comes from hooking into the thought. So when you said just label like, oh, yep, there's that anxious thought coming through. Oh, yep. That's the fear that I'm running late or whatever. It's just, it's amazing. Once you just start acknowledging and labeling the thought can pass or be put in the balloon. Like you said, where we, I think don't realize is we hook into it and then we start going, it's like the inner tornado rather than just letting letting it just walk on by. Like we don't have to hook into thoughts. Like our brains are meant to make thoughts. Well, and you are not your thoughts. You know, you have to kind of back it up before that. Um, Before I started my mindfulness practice, I thought I was my thoughts. Like I thought that was an expression of who I was at the core. And that is absolutely not true. You are the awareness, the essence, the spirit, looking at the thought, thinking the thought, your brain is thinking the thought, but you are not that thought. And our thoughts most of the time are negative and untrue and unhelpful. And I don't want to be those things. (laughs) So taking that a step back, it's like looking at your thoughts, you realize, oh, I'm not even those thoughts. Okay. I'm the essence. I have some control and decision-making ability here because that is not who I am. So realizing that at first too, will help ease some of that stress. And also too, like If you follow the juicy thought, if you follow the interesting thought down the rabbit hole, that's okay. Acknowledge yourself like for noticing that. Like, oh, I went down that rabbit hole again. Okay, let me, let me readjust. Let me concentrate on my breath for a minute. Let me find something to stare at. Let me find something to listen to and to concentrate on and just move forward. Like you can't mess up meditation other than quitting. You can't mess it up because meditation and mindfulness is supposed to bring and foster and access compassion. And that first compassion is for yourself. And once you give yourself compassion for going down rabbit holes, for wiggling, for being fidgety, for stopping at five minutes when you wanted to do 10 minutes, but then showing back up the next time, like that compassion you give yourself will ooze out to compassion you can give others. So that's where, you know, mindfulness is wonderful practice for yourself and for your own healing and for your own coping, but it's a beautiful practice to help with relationships and, and your community and actually changing the world from the inside out. That's why I changed crafting goods messaging to that because I saw that in real time too. Well, and I think it brings even more importance back to the word practice that you mentioned before. This is a practice because with each time we're just trying to make progress, like it's, it doesn't have to be perfect, but it's going to take trial and error to figure out what makes sense for Rachel's meditation practice. What makes sense for Alicia's meditation practice. We just, it's an experiment. Well, and you're creating new neural pathways, like on a biological level, you are creating new neural pathways in your, in your nervous system. So it's going to feel wonky. It's going to feel uncomfortable until you do it over and over with repetition. And those grooves um, become more permanent in your system and become more automatic and become easier. It's just like every other skill. It's going to feel uncomfortable and wonky. You're not doing it wrong. It's just part of the process. And two, with that, our psychological system wants to block things that are new, right? For an evolutionary point of view, you know, 
things that are unknown are scary. And when you start tapping into your meditation practice and daring to go into your mind, that can feel very in your heart, that can feel very scary to your nervous system, to your psychological system. And so you're going to get blocks. You're going to be distracted by distractions. You're going to be thinking about your to-do list. You're going to be thinking, oh, this is so stupid. Why am I trying to do this? I'm not consistent. I'm not a disciplined person. Why am I even trying to do this? Those are all blocks that your body is trying to do to keep you safe because it's scared of the unknown. But when you get past that, when you prove to your body and your mind and your spirit that this is going to help you and you have control over this, and this is a beautiful way to open up your mind, heal your body, tap into your intuition, tap into your um, you know, six senses and creativity and all sorts of things that meditation can do, it will take hold and it will, it will be more comfortable and be a really um, like self-nourishing process. Once that starts happening and you see the benefits out in your external world and internal world, you will want to meditate. You will crave it. You will not be able to function without it. So I want to ask you a few questions too, because I know what first brought me to exploring meditation were my struggles with anxiety. So I know many of us out there relate to being anxious. Maybe we have panic attacks. It can be an overwhelming place to be. And to your point you made earlier, so, okay, I'm anxious. I'm going to start meditating. You plug in a 15 minute guided meditation and you freak the fuck out. So what might be some good, I almost want to say non-committal, but just like, what are some like first steps or ways that someone who relates to having anxiety can start bringing in some meditative practices or tools so yeah. that they can start slowing their mind. Compassion for yourself, being easy with yourself and bringing your curiosity. Those are two assets for starting anything new, but especially meditation. And if you are not in the hands of a coach or a counselor or a therapist, I would encourage that. Too. You want to make sure you're supported before you start something new. You don't want to make something worse. You want to have a support system outside of yourself that you can go to if this is overwhelming for you. So definitely those two things. And then once you kind of have those stabilized and you're ready to start, start off slow and small. Maybe you wake up five minutes earlier than you usually do and you just lay in your bed and listen to the sounds and notice how your body feels. Maybe you are sitting in the car before you go into a meeting and you do a couple of deep breaths and notice what your breath feels like. Maybe you count. Um, maybe if you are from a specific religious background, you start off with that form in your religious background. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's um, going out in nature. Start off where you feel comfortable. So if you are a walker and you do like to go on a walk, start off with your walk. Notice the sounds you hear. Notice how your body feels. Notice how your feet hit the ground. So be approachable with it. Again, nobody's giving you gold stars here for torturing yourself. <laughs> um, make yourself comfortable. If sitting up feels very uncomfortable at first, lay down. Lay down on the floor. Lay down in your office. Lay down in your bedroom. Lay on your bed. Then try it sitting up. Try it pacing around. You know, they have labyrinths too, where you can walk and, and do like a maze. <laughs> you could start off there shaking. We kind of talked about that earlier. Shake your hands out, shake your body out, take some movement and stretches beforehand to get some of that uh, stagnant energy out of the way. That's going to beg for your attention once you get still. So start off slow and small, take some movement, get some support around it and, you know, try Try it by yourself, but maybe put on some music, maybe put on music that makes you feel good. Maybe it's not that typical, you know, gongs and lo-fi type of music. Maybe it is your favorite singer. 
you know, and that just really gets you in the zone and brings you in the present moment. And you are doing the dishes and you've got your favorite song on and you're listening to your favorite song and you're feeling the bubbles, like meet yourself where you're most comfortable and just vow to yourself that you're going to bring more attention to whatever task that might be. Something that came to mind, I was flashing back to some of my most anxious times were when I was in the car. Like that was when I would full on panic. Um, and it was a very difficult time period of my life until I started learning some things that helped me control my breath, slow my mind. And I wanted to talk about these two things and see if you could expand on it, because I know what ended up helping me in those moments, because I think sometimes we do find ourselves overwhelmed with anxiety and we're not in a place that you're at home and that you can go sit in your bedroom, right? right? Like for me, I was on the interstate in the middle of nowhere, South Carolina, freaking the fuck out. Right. And as I started focusing on making my exhale longer than my yeah. inhale, that helped. And then the other thing, so I was hoping you could talk about that. And then second, learning where my breath was coming from, chest versus belly, that mm -hmm also was a game changer for me. So would you be able to talk about that? Like the idea about focusing on your exhale and then also differentiating where is your breath coming from? I mean, generalizing here, but typically our Western stressed society is breathing like with our shoulders and with our throat and with the tops of our chest. Um, that's all well and good, but it's not bringing the oxygen we need. So we're in this chronic state of like hyperventilation, basically. Um, if you haven't read the book breath, read it. Um, I think it's breath, breath or breathe, but it's so good because it goes into a lot of detail of the history of breathing, why we're doing this and, and why that's detrimental to our health and our, our minds and bodies and spirits. But when we breathe from the top here, we're not getting enough oxygen and we're, we're breathing too fast and too shallow. So when you notice that your breath, you can drop your breath down into your belly and on the inhale, your belly expands, goes out and then comes up to the chest. And then on your exhale, when you're exhaling longer than your inhale, you're slowing your nervous system down. You're going into that rest relaxation type of um, energy in your nervous system, which will help slow the heart rate, slow the blood pressure. So that's where some of that, if you need attention or if you need energy, do the opposite. If you're feeling really sluggish and you're about to go into a meeting or give a presentation or have some sort of activity where you need to help your energy, do the opposite. Exhale shorter than inhale. Yes, I said that right. Exhale shorter than inhale will give you energy. So it's a reciprocal relationship. And look at those cool tools that you have, right? But first, it takes your attention on your breath to know what state you're in, what kind of breath you're in. So what helps me, I put a hand on a heart, on my heart, on my chest, and then a hand on my belly for more tactile feedback about where my breath is. If I'm breathing up in my shoulders, up and down, or my throat, <sighs> Um, I know that I need to woo, roll my shoulders back and down, sit up, maybe, you know, straighten the spine a little bit, root down into my, my hip bones and my, my butt bones there. And then notice your belly going out on the inhale. Then the chest rises, then the air moves to the throat. And then on the exhale, it goes through the mouth. And again, another component of this is we chronically have a pit in our stomach and our stomachs are always sucked in, especially with the conditioning around body image, around sizing for stomachs for women and men. But it's especially prevalent, I think, with people identifying as females 
having that body image issue, always feeling like you're sucking in. And so you actually have to train your stomach muscles to relax and and to train your body that that's okay. So maybe that's some of the work that needs to be done through your meditation, through your therapy and, and other modality practices too. It's safe and it's okay to let your belly relax. And then your breath can start there and move up. And then you can bring more awareness to it, but that can feel really triggering. I cannot believe you just said that because I had a conversation with someone recently that I literally was like for 42 years, I've been holding my breath because I'm scared Mm -hmm. of what my belly looks like when it's puffed Mm -hmm. out. So, I mean, again, that's a conversation for another day, but even I really want to acknowledge that because it's pretty fucked up how much our body image then filters. Like we already know that like psychologically it messes with us, but then now we know it's messing with our breathing, which is then potentially contributing to even more of our anxiousness. Like 100%. So this is permission to let your freaking belly out, like breathe. We've got to start breathing better to even begin to get into a place of, right. Like being able to be like more in the moment, but thank you so much for those explanations. And I love that hack about when I had never thought about that of when you need energy to really be focusing on that, like really full inhale. But guys, I really encourage you practice what Rachel said, as far as the placement of your hands, one on your chest, one on your belly which one is moving when you breathe. That was hands down one of the pivotal practices I put into place just to start bringing more attention, right? Which is our meditation at play of when we're bringing attention to present moment, what's happening. So this was another funny one that I actually didn't tell you in advance of our conversation, but it came up (laughs) while we were talking. I can remember struggling with meditation because I would sit down And think that then, right, I'd get quiet, you know, seated position. And I thought like I would instantly hear from God and he was going to tell me like he, she, (laughs) it source would tell me like what I needed to know in my life. People might be like, that's the most batshit crazy thing ever. But another thing that got in my way was learning that I imagine as you continue with meditation, there is that spiritual connection. But I think that maybe even step one is just helping us get more tethered into our bodies. Does that make sense? Oh my God. 100. You nailed it. So meditation does open your heart and your mind and your spirit open to feeling that connective energy or universe or source or God, whatever you feel is your um, power source basically. And that was certainly a part of what helped me be consistent with my meditation practice, because it has been a source of, of listening and talking to God, but it doesn't start out that way at all whatsoever, because whatever is present for you is going to be what meditation deals with first. So if you sit down for a meditation practice and you just had an argument with your partner, the meditation is going to be dealing with that energy that's going on in your body and source is going to have a hard time. I mean, it's source, like it can do whatever it wants and it can access you through that too, but it's going to be a lot harder when your attention is on the energy of the argument with your spouse. Right. So as you practice and those things fall to the wayside easier in your meditation practice, you will be able to hear your heart, your intuition, your, your source quicker and easier, but it will take a process of practicing with your body, getting into your body, allowing your body to relax and access those higher levels of consciousness or higher vibrations or, or different wavelengths, whatever helps you conceptualize those states of awareness. It has to be a practice first. Like you're not going to sit down at your meditation and be like, 
hello, God, it's me, Margaret. Like, you know, unless you've had access to that before. And again, like I'm not limiting God by any means. Okay. Um, source will do it at once. And maybe it is a lightning bolt down your spine and you feel this awakened automatically. Typically, I would say that's not (laughs) the experience of most meditators, but it is, if that is meaningful to you and that is your why, um, you know, we, we alluded to it a little bit, um, that this is a habit to start. And when you start habits, good habit practice is knowing your why, what is your big, why, why do you want to sit and meditate? If it's to get healthy and you don't really feel connected to getting healthy, you ain't going to do it. Okay. If it's because it's cool. And, you know, my guru said that you have to do it because it's cool. That's not going to be a deep enough reason to keep your motivation going to, to have access to the benefits of it, because it's going to be a surface level or an ego level motivation. So I think maybe even step one, before you even sit, before you even take a, a movement is to get real with yourself. Why do you want to meditate? If it's from an ego place where it's like, well, I think it's cool. Maybe try a different modality first. Maybe meditation's not, you're not ready for meditation yet. Or maybe it's not your thing at all. It's just like every other tool. Like maybe it's just not your thing. So I would get real with that. Like my mode or my reason for meditating at first was because I thought Deepak and Oprah were cool. (laughs) And so it was my gateway, right? Like I tried it and I enjoyed it and I enjoyed that experience. So it perpetuated itself and I kept signing up for those challenges. But until I was at a point where I needed it for my daily functioning, as I did in 2020 with my, you know, COVID issues, I, it was surface and I did it just to have fun while they were doing it until I brought my full body, mind, spirit, why into the reason why I was sitting down there every day it didn't click with me. So, and part of that was, yes, I needed to cope with my stress and anxiety um, on a very visceral and literal daily basis. And also I was in, in process of awakening my greater spiritual and and greater consciousness as well. That was part of my life at the time. So I was doing other modalities for that as well, journaling and and listening to talks and just gobbling up books and learning about energy and doing Reiki and all of that. That was part of it. And then meditation was another channel of which I could access my intuition, access God, listen to signs of my like guardian angels and, and things like that. So it was a whole body. Why a whole body, mind, spirit, why, when it really actually clicked. So get real with yourself. I think step one, get real with yourself. Why are you doing this? If it's for ego, you know, maybe try it. Like, you don't know, you, you might need to practice it to see if it clicks, but if you're trying to force it and it's becoming the shame tool or spiraling into more anxiety or something you dread, and you're just doing it because you think it's cool. Stop doing that shit. It's 2023. We ain't doing that. We ain't operating like that anymore. So take a break from it. And maybe it's not the right timing for you, or it's not the right tool for you, but get real with your why. Oh my gosh. I love that. Yes. Know your why and stop. Like if you're, if you're cramming the circle into a square or something, just stop. If it's not working, Uh, we're not doing that anymore. Now this is new. Like we got to approach our lives with intention and compassion and not trying to do things for other people anymore because of other people, not for other people. We're still going to act in service everyone, (laughs) but we're not going to do things because other people tell us to, or because of other people, we're going to do it from our core authentic essence. Oh my gosh. Yes. And just, I feel that so deeply of, I think you're right that we are moving. We're shifting into a place where it's less, at least I feel in my own life, I am starting to dissolve 
a lot of the shoulds, like I'm supposed to do that. I should be doing Mm -hmm. it like this and more being like, what's true for you? Like, what do you actually want and go from there? So I think about that too, of like, if you've had curiosity around meditation, maybe it's not working, let it go right now. It's going to come back to you. If it's a tool that's going to serve you, it will come back to you. Well, in meditation, if you're forcing meditation and you feel shame and anxiety and disappointment and worry about that practice, even if you sit in meditation for 20 minutes every single day, but that's the energy you're bringing to it, it's not going to serve you. It's not going to show you the benefits because you're sitting in the energy of, I hate this. I'm not good at this. This is for other people. It's not for me, but I better do it because my doctor said I should, or my therapist said I should, or my best friend said I should, or my guru said I should. That is going to work against itself anyway. So you're really just bringing more negativity to your life and wasting your time and energy. Well, you have definitely helped me look at meditation differently. And I think it's been helpful to kind of break up some of these ideas of what it's supposed to look like. Am I doing it right? How do I do this better? And I want you to talk about, because something else that has been in my own life has impacted me is connecting to your meditation library through Crafting Good, because your meditations, what I'm going to say are maybe some of them are quote unquote, non-traditional, which is why it freaking spoke to me that it's not just this, like you said, the gong and the, the, the perfect scenario, because that's just not realistic. So tell us about your meditation library and what we can expect if we check it out. Yeah. Well, it's so funny. Um, I have been thinking about this meditation library. I basically already had it set up for my one-on-one and group coaching clients within the platform as a resource tool. And then people kept asking me like, well, will you send me this meditation or will you do one for me? Or do you have a place where I could do these meditations? And I was like, oh yeah, I do. That's funny. I should offer that to people. And it's a very um, approachable price point and approachable time. And it's not one of these big corporate apps that have thousands, literally thousands of instructors and meditations. And you're just like, oh my God, I don't even know what to search on here because it's overwhelming. There's like 14, right? I mean, I do update it once a month, but um, I was like, oh shoot. Yeah, I'll offer that. And I opened it up and you were my first customer. And um, I was just so grateful from the response from you too, because it validated, because I was kind of worried. I was, I'm battling these limiting beliefs in myself and conditioning in myself as well. Like, well, I didn't use my my gong or I didn't use my sound bowl and I didn't use my chimes. I used, you know, more like lo-fi beats or even upbeat beats or just running water sounds. So I'm glad you responded to that because I was also like, oh, I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm going to put it out here. Um, I've also paired um, meditation with human design or a types, which I thought I like, that was something I was looking for out in the meditation guide universe as a generator in human design. Um, and I couldn't really see where those were super approachable. Cause again, on these big corporate apps, there's like a thousand of them. And I'm like, look, I just need like a good old generator, like meditation, like, give me that. So I created those for each of the aura types. And then I think the funnest one I did was the not self theme one. So I'm a fiery Aries girl. I got a lot of fire in my astrological chart. I am a leader, quote unquote, like I can be pretty opinionated and get, you know, got triggered pretty easily. And I was like, I, I know meditation can help me in these circumstances, but there's no way in hell I'm sitting down in my room, listening to some gong shit, telling me to like 
imagine my, you know, self at a running stream, like, no, fuck that. So I um, was inspired actually by, if you don't follow Yogi Brian on Instagram, it's a great follow if you respond well to irreverent uh, (laughs) language around these topics, but he's a yogi and he uses a lot of cuss words and a lot of like get real talk, like sit your ass down on the mat. Come on, we're doing this, you know? So I was inspired by him. I was like, I should do a not self theme because each orotype in human design has emotions to help guide you uh, if you're in alignment or not. And so I was like, I'm going to bring, you know, um, anger, frustration, bitterness, all those not self themes from human design into this meditation. So when people are like me and they're triggered and pissed and just had an argument with someone or something didn't go their way, they can still come back to themselves guided by this to access their power within themselves to um, release their fucks, you know, like the, the friction, that's why fuck is so nice to say, because it's like the sound and the sound, my speech therapist is coming out too now. Um, but it feels really good because it puts the tension there. Right. So I wanted to bring that into that place to bring some humor to it. It's funny. I'm like laughing in it, you know, bring some humor to these things we find ourselves in these circumstances we find ourselves in and still know that you have the power inside of you when you're triggered to access the space, access your breath, access ways to move that energy through that doesn't involve like punching a wall. This literally guys, I I tell you, if you are even thinking about experimenting with meditation, I highly encourage you very accessible price point. And when you go get her meditation library, definitely do the not, not self meditation. It is the first meditation that I literally laughed while listening to it. And it was exactly (laughs) what I needed in that moment. So I love your out of the box approach with some of your meditations. And I think it's just another way to make meditation feel real approachable and dare I say messy, even at times. So we were messy and ignoring that and pretending we're perfect is just adding to the stress that we carry. So that's why it was really meaningful to me to make these with a different lens. Cause you can get regular guided, lovely. I mean, I do those still like lovely guided meditations on corporate apps or in person or during a yoga practice or doing a Qigong practice. Like all of those are very, very lovely, but I also wanted to offer a space for people that, yeah, we're messy like me. <laughs> Amen. Preach sister. Cause yeah, I'm part of the messy crew too. So Rachel, you are a delight as always. You are always a ball of energy and I love connecting with you so much in real life and on the podcast. And I really think that some of the things we talked about today, I hope will shift the way listeners view meditation and start to develop their own practice so they can start getting tethered into the present moment, slowing down those thoughts and just having more awareness of what's right in front of you. So as always, guys, thank you for listening. I cannot wait to connect with you on a future episode. Bye guys. Thank you so much for listening to the Wake Up Call podcast. If you liked what you heard today, I would love for you to subscribe and leave a review. It takes just a few minutes and does wonders for helping other people find the podcast. If you want to connect outside of the podcast, you can do so by following at Alicia D. Hopkins on Instagram. And if you really liked the episode you just listened to, do me a favor. Would you screenshot the episode and tag me? I would love to see what's resonating with you. Thank you for joining me today. And I hope today's episode helped you to see that you can wake up to the change that's possible in your life. Oh,